A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by my company, Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This is going to be a panel because while I clearly am not shy about talking, I want to give others in the community a voice too. It definitely shouldn't only come from me. We should be hearing from many different people doing this. If you want to participate in a panel, please do get in touch. You can go to datameshunderstanding.com to see some of the other free community-friendly programs and the other learning resources we have. And you can check out our actually quite reasonably priced offerings. So let's hear some fun music and then jump into a quickish summary of what you'll hear about in this panel. A panel, creating a data mesh platform, the first iteration of this panel. So bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I had guest host Paolo Plotter, who's the CTO and co-founder of Agile Lab, as well as the guest of episode number three, who facilitated a discussion with Manisha Jain, a data engineer at ThoughtWorks and guest of episode number 220, Jean-Georges Perrin, aka JGP, who's the intelligence platform lead at PayPal, and guest of episode 130, and Max Schultz, who's the Associate Director of Data Engineering at HelloFresh, and guest of episode 21. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. So I'm going to share my kind of key takeaways here. I've got my top eight. There's a lot, lot more in the show notes if people want to look at those. So my top takeaways from this. Number one, as with every aspect of data mesh, you will need to focus your data platform work on what best drives value, right? This sounds obvious, but it's not. Doing, and you need to do so incrementally and both in the short and long term. Look to start at common friction points in your org's traditional data work, not just data mesh work, like automated provisioning and things like that. What's going to drive value? What's going to remove friction for people? That will give users, new users to your platform, a good first experience that is incrementally better to existing data work. So that can potentially drive buy-in for data mesh. Number two, it's really crucial to understand user personas and necessary capabilities for each persona. Who is using it? Why are they using it? And what are their points of friction? That experience plane will become incredibly important as you move along but it probably shouldn't be your initial focus as well. It's a little bit difficult to kind of balance those, but it's something that you need to think about of what are the capabilities before you even think about experiences and then you move into experiences. 
Number three, the word platform, especially in data mesh, can be thought of as a plural. Don't focus on only creating kind of a single platform to rule them all. Focus on delivering scalable capabilities that reduce friction and support scalability and reliability slash trustability of data work by producers. Users don't care how it fits together. Create a system that can evolve and scale. Number four, you must treat your platform as a product itself. Think about how well it satisfies user needs, how good is the user experience, etc. That also means your platform has a life cycle where you add and eventually prune features. From the start, apply product thinking to your platform, or you're going to have difficulty with kind of the, the future and the evolvability. Number five, prioritization of platform capabilities will probably always be a challenge once you have more than a few domains using the platform. Balance being reactive and proactive with the need to generalize solutions to fit many use cases. Again, look to product management for advice on how to manage your roadmap and your priorities. Number six, really think about how to handle breaking changes. They're likely inevitable, and that's okay, but you need to focus strongly on communication and limiting the impact, providing a gentle migration path. Basically, try to prevent these, right? Don't break without really needing to, and do so sparingly, right? You have kind of, I can't remember who said it, but somebody talked about trust tokens in in a past episode. And you have a number of these trust tokens. And once that trust token is taken away by doing something like a breaking change, you don't get more of them or you have to regenerate them over an extended period of time. So think about that trust and that breaking changes are related to your trust. Number seven, data integration, especially in a highly regulated industry, it's going to be a challenge you will face relatively early on. It's likely not going to be easy. Be prepared for that. And finally, number eight, you need to understand where there is friction in the data product creation and management process. That's where your platform should focus. That might feel obvious, but it's not how data platforms have been built. Basically, look to automate unnecessary friction first. Even if that means I'm focusing on things like templates and blueprints instead of the cool aspects of the technology of building out a platform, really lean into those, what do my users care about? Really talk to them. Talk to them about what they really need. Lean into those capabilities. Okay, with that summary of my top takeaways, and you can see the show notes for more takeaways if you'd like, but let's go ahead and actually hear from our awesome panelists themselves. Hi everybody, I'm Paolo Platter. Um, let's start with a round of introductions. Um, Max, do you want to start? 
Yes, absolutely. You can do so. Uh, yeah. Hi, folks. I'm Max. Um, very happy to be here. Um, I am uh, quite well known also as the uh, banana suited gentleman when it comes to data mesh. Um, I've been very much involved in the data mesh journey, both building it um, as well as also publicly advocating it. I've been at Zalando at the data engineering um, data platform space for the past more than seven years now. Um, and I'm currently making the transition into HelloFresh, uh, which both are companies that are very much involved in the data mesh space. And I'm very happy to be here and talking to you folks today. Manisha, do you want to go next? Sure. Thanks, Max. Um, happy to be here as well. Uh, Manisha, lead data engineer at ThoughtWorks. Uh, for the last couple of years, I've been consulting clients on their data mesh journey, uh, onboarding them to data mesh, both on the data product building side and the platform side. Uh, happy to be part of this conversation. Over to JGP. Hey, hi guys. Uh, and my name is Jean-Georges or JGP, uh, Jean-Georges Perrin. I used to be an entrepreneur in France. I've been a consultant in the US where I built a few uh, data platforms. Some even went to production. That's, that's, that was kind of the highlight of my career. Um, I, uh, even if I've been in data engineering for a long enough time, I self-identify as a software engineer. Um, and right now I lead PayPal's implementation for data mesh, and I'm also a lifetime IBM champion. So back to you, Paolo. Thank you. I'm Paolo Platter. I'm co-founder and CTO of uh, Agile Lab. Uh, consulting firm in the data management and data engineering space, and we help companies to implement data mesh uh, platforms uh, since uh, three years right now. Uh, so we are in the in the journey since the since the beginning. So let's start uh, warming up. Um, so le le let's assume uh, all, all of you are implementing. Uh, data mesh platform. So let's start maybe talking about the biggest pitfalls that you can uh, that, that you can see when someone is at the beginning of the journey and uh, they want to start implementing a data mesh platform. Who who want to go first? Yeah, maybe I can get started. Um, I, I see that there is like two major differences in terms of the setups from which you're starting, right? Like on the one side, when you say at the beginning of the journey, of course, it can usually mean you are building a total greenfield first ever data platform for your company, but it's rarely the case, right? Like in most cases, you have some sort of legacy, be it like legacy BI infrastructure, um, uh, be it already some larger data stores that you have uh, that you want to integrate. And now the interesting question for me becomes, um, like wh where to get started, right? Like what to, what to first focus on um, and what really to um, uh, to start addressing first. And um, I think like what is most important for people to realize is to start from something that actually creates value within the company, right? I've seen and been part of uh, multiple projects that tried building a huge, perfect platform um, that was supposed to address all the needs of everyone and turned out to be like a two years waterfall project, uh, which by the time you actually finally were shipping something to production, um, you had a big problem that half of the things that you thought of originally two years ago were not even valid anymore. So I think like f first thing for me to jump onto is like try to figure out first what is it that you actually need and really start like in a small and incremental way. I would jump on that as well as saying, hey, don't boil the ocean, okay? Just just 
aim, aim low, aim at something we value, build a demonstrator and, and, and grow from there. And that's been our journey. And then we've built a, a pass on MVP one and voila, you got it. Okay. <laughs> I concur with both the points. I think the key is to identify the value, start thin slice, uh, data product as such a lot of things that it need, that it has to offer, but do all of them make sense on day one? Uh, not really, right? So we generally, when we consult with newer domains, we do this exercise of identifying what is their vision and map down to a level of a use case, which can be broken down into supporting data products. We start there and we do a technical assessment of what is the minimum thing that is needed to build this data product. Uh, maybe security is not their first level concern. Maybe handling PII is not their first level concern. Even when it comes to data product characteristics, don't go upfront and build everything saying my platform should make sure all the characteristics are available. Uh, what we have seen is first make, create the value, uh, like Max uh, pointed, make it discoverable, right? So that it's out there and other domains see that there is this domain who's championed creating a data product and there is growth and interest um, within the organization. And then you build other characteristics slowly. So identifying that right thin slice MVP, I think we are all concurring to that point here, Pablo. How does it look for you, Paolo, like from, from an angle of um, like actually uh, consulting companies and also like somewhat building a platform or like building tooling uh, for? Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the temptation is always to try to integrate everything uh, is there, no? Uh, because you want to onboard very fast all the domains, but different domains and different business units are leveraging different technologies have different skill set uh, so the uh, the temptation is uh, is that one but is definitely uh, slowing down uh, the the adoption because if you don't bring uh, an mvp of the platform in a very short time uh, it will be very hard to engage more and more uh, more and more domains and um, a really important thing to me is to start anyway with a platform. Don't just start with data product because uh, the platform anyway is bringing value to the domains because in the data mesh, we are shifting a lot of accountabilities uh, to the domains. So we need to exchange these uh, uh, additional cognitive load with some benefit for them. So we, what, what I typically try to do is to understand where people are spending most of the time in creating uh, their uh, use cases, their uh, data use case or data products, and try to bring value in that, uh, in that part of the process with the platform, I mean. When, when do you start calling something a platform? Like, I'm, I'm actually quite curious about that because, uh, of course, like, you can build some first features, right, to support the domains. And that's, that's most certainly something that we've, we've done in the past. But uh, when, when you say platform first, like, where, where, when do you start calling something a platform? Um, and when is it, like, quote unquote, just a feature uh, that maybe even inside the domain folks are working on? And then later on, you turn it into some bigger, better. Um, uh, like, like, where do you make that difference? Then? It's a good question. Uh, I can, I can try take a stab at it. Uh, I, I'd like to think about the platform when you're, you know, 
I, I assume everybody read Jamak's book here. Um, but when you, when you read Jamak's book around chapter 12 or something, where she described these experience planes and you've got the three experience plane, you've got the infrastructures, the data and the, da- uh, the data product and the data and the mesh experience plane. I, I kind of see the platform taking shape at the mesh experience plane. So when you start combining your data products or your data quanta together to, 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 to produce something, okay, and, and see the shared result of that, that's, that's probably where I would define the platform. I, I, I agree as well. I think uh, if it's not visible to some business stakeholder or someone like that, uh, is not a platform. So if you are just automating deployments and CI/CD or stuff like this, you're delivering value, but uh, it's very difficult to have uh, business stakeholders uh, jumping in and understand what you are doing. So I, I agree that the experience plane is the most visible and uh, practical uh, piece of the platform that you can expose. Before that, okay, you're you're delivering value, but before claiming in a company, in a complex organization that you have a platform without showing anything, uh, I think uh, it's going to be a counter goal. I think I see this slight differently. Uh, For me, if there is a repeatability and if you have helped more than one data product team, Uh, Though you don't have the mesh experience plane to its fullest extent, right? Uh, Say you started with a very basic uh, discoverability characteristics. You've enabled a data product team to publish the data product on a catalog. Again, this is visible to the business user, right? They come and look at the data product attributes, the value that it creates. So there is visibility. So even this thin slice of starting from identifying a capability that adds value, making it automated for more than one data product team and having a fitness function at mesh saying uh, this data product marks true for discoverability uh, that's checked right so i see even a thin slice uh, there happening even though we don't go to the full extent of the mature mesh experience plane because uh, that evolves slowly and uh, we're still in the journey to get there Ah, you're right. Uh, the data mesh experience plane could be the catalog as well. Uh, so it could be part of a, of a, of a data mesh platform. But uh, it's really important uh, to me that someone that is business that is on the business side can get the, the value that you are unleashing uh, with the plat- with the platform. What, what about you, Max? Yeah, I, I think I think honestly, this this already starts very early right like like i'm i'm also more on, on manisha's side here like and as you said yourself earlier right you you want to start with platform first that doesn't mean you immediately start with the experience play right like you 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 start with small things like providing compute infrastructure in an automated way like like something that is very low level but it already helps a lot of teams to make things more efficient and i think like platform does not only mean ultimately what the business users see but um, the technical users and the engineers across the company are also users for that matter. Um, and I think like a lot of the, the platform part, and especially when you say platform first, it starts much, much lower already, um, uh, just with small things that you can see and feel in your everyday life. Uh, and I, I wouldn't go so far of saying like we need to, to, to reach like 
to actually make it visible to a CEO or something like this right from the start. Because then we are getting back to the previous question where we also discussed, like, you don't want to build the perfect platform up front, but you want to start with something small for it. I think it may depend also the company you're working in and, and, and the environment. When, you, when, you, when you're talking about automatic provisioning, uh, for example, some companies are not there yet. And it's not because they don't have automatic provisioning that they cannot go to data mesh. So I think, I think it's, it's, it's really, but I think if, if I, if I sum, try to summarize what we were saying is that really we're after value, right? I think it's really like we're trying to deliver value and the, and the platform is here to, f- to help that. Yeah. The different planes identify different users and we can create value at different plane for different users. Max was emphasizing on dev experience. Uh, we, um, some of us were ex- emphasizing on the mesh. But uh, the moment we create value and there's repeatability and there is return uh, on uh, reducing the time to create data product, that's that's how I see it. Uh, we are there. Uh, we've started on our platform journey and we can start calling ourselves platform. Yeah. I agree. I, I think the key point is the kind of company you are trying to introduce the data mesh with. Because, for example, for Zalando, maybe very high tech company, is important to convince engineers instead in a bank or in a more enterprisey company is more important to convince business stakeholders than engineers. So I think that's a good reading key. It might, it might also depend on, 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 on where you are in your journey as well. Okay. So uh, as I'm more like a bank or an enterprise company, uh, I, I, uh, I think at different stage of the project, you've got a different to, to, to convince different people of the value. And for to, to do that, you also have different parts of your platforms that you're actually going. Okay. So after. So for example, uh, all what a lot of things that matters to our, executive and leadership is compliance okay um so you you insist that more on the on all this federated uh, computational governance okay that 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 provides a good chunk of the governance part when you're talking to data scientists and 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 business analysts which are mostly our consumer of the platform well then you're going to to show to talk to them more about the self-service aspect of the of the platform and and, and manisha you're totally right it it depends different 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 access to the different planes okay so uh, yeah it it different different use cases we we, we introduce a lot uh well but in, we, we focused a lot on personas, okay, when we when we built our platform and our tooling. So uh, we've identified, for example, um, Juliet was our data scientist and Cindy was our data engineer. So we really had to say, hey, what's is that good for Cindy or is that good for Juliet? How, how is Cindy working? Okay, and so we had a bunch of Cindy's we were talking to and a bunch of Juliet we were talking to, just trying to gather all the requirements that we wanted to make sure the platform is going to offer. Yeah, and, and one point that I really love that, that we've opened up here is the like start by listening. 
right? Like, like start by actually understanding what you already have and where the needs actually lie, right? And honestly, I have to say that's also one of the things that I'm most looking forward to with my upcoming endeavor, uh, like diving into a new environment and saying, um, and having the chance once more just to be there and to observe and, and like absorb a lot of things. Um, uh, that's something that, that will be incredibly useful um, to even figure out what are the first steps that you need to do. Uh, because again, like you can come in and you can give like general advice about like how to buy build a platform or, or, or anything along those lines. But first you need to actually understand like what is it that you in your specific environment needs because every single data mesh ultimately looks totally different. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I can give an example here on what Max was trying to say. When I did a couple of dis discoveries in the same organization across two different domains, from the first domain, I heard that access to data is a challenge. They know exactly what they what value the data will create, but access to data was challenged. So making the data available in a trustworthy form was the first uh, prerogative we had to address. When I went to the second domain, access to data is not a concern. Uh, I then understanding how it maps to the value that they would like to have for their domain was a challenge. And then getting the um, buy-in from uh, the domain stakeholders on, do we want to do data mesh or not? So each domain is in a different um, uh, space I, or a journey, you, you could say, uh, both from understanding data mesh, uh, both from uh, different challenges uh, that they encounter, right? So we can, pro with a single platform, uh, we can really cater to like different kinds of users, but ultimately developing platform capabilities on the go. So it doesn't matter where you start. Uh, if you, you're lucky if you've started on the easiest domain where you think about the most basic things. Um, and if you uh, at first wants to want to start talking, uh, talking and automating compliance, uh, that, that's a bit tricky. So it really depends on the journey. And um, th this is really important uh, also in uh, uh, how do we evolve the platform? So after the first MVP, because typically we select uh, the, the easiest domain to approach and to create value. Uh, but then uh, uh, how do you evolve your platforms? Do you apply data pr um, product management uh, principles? Uh, do you interview uh, customers and users? Uh, how, how do you proceed in uh, refining the offering of the platform? Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's actually quite important to 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 take in a, a, a product angle also into the platform itself, right? Like um, we are preaching like data products left and right, uh, but of course only if we treat the platform itself as a product, uh, we will actually truly be able to turn it into something useful for the use cases that we are looking at. And again, like like bouncing on the on the examples that that, that Manisha has just mentioned, right? Like that is that is perfectly fitting. Um, like what we're trying to do here, right? Like first, you were looking into one specific domain. They had some very specific needs, so you built the platform to fulfill that particular need. But then, like expanding your viewpoint, and again, like that's that's I guess how we are evolving as well. Um, uh, we are just like broadening up our user base. We are taking more and more things into consideration. And with that, we define an order of priority through which we are developing new features um, for our particular platform. Um, again, fully focused on um, the things that create the most value across the organization uh, by increasing 
our scope more and more and understanding better and better what are the most burning points across the whole. Uh, to add to that, uh, value-focused product mindset to platform is a given. I think Max advocates this everywhere. Um, in addition to this, uh, when you think about platform, first you just build the end-to-end, uh, let the team uh, explore, experiment, and get the data product out there in any shape and form. Now you question the team, what is the logical architecture of your data product now that you have it, right? What are the bits that are common if you build another data product, right? This will, this will These questioning uh, will start shaping a data product specification uh, eventually. Uh, that's the journey we took. When we build the data product, we just build a data product. Now the platform also has to start thinking. There are two data product teams from two different domains. What context, bounded context I need to have on the platform side? How do I ensure that these two teams don't overlap on computational resources, storage, right? Uh, so when you start with one data product, the things that you look at are completely different. The moment you go to one to two data products, then across domains, the concerns that platform must look into changes. And this results in evolvability. Uh, this is a pattern that I've, I've personally seen um, happen uh, with platforms. We had a bit of a different approach. Um, so first, I, I believe strongly in product thinking. Okay, so uh, as I said before, I, I self-identify as a software engineer. So I've been doing agile uh, for well. You guys cannot see me, but I've got the color of wisdom on my beard, um, and and so it's been it's been it's been a while. So we we assumed. Uh, a completely random number of data products. We said, okay, we're going to have 2,000 data products, okay? It's, where does the 2,000 come from? Completely random, okay? We looked at the number of users. We looked at what they were doing. We looked, okay, nah, you know, finger finger in the wind. You look it, okay, 2,000. Okay, so that's, that's, that's probably a good number. Uh, and, and then we were starting off thinking like that is, oh, this operation can be done manually. Okay, but can you do it manually when you've got 2,000 data products? Um, so all, all these all this things started to shape a little bit the, the, the technical requirements for the tooling around the platform as well. Okay, so so um, when we were thinking about, about that, it, it, it made more sense. It give, it give a dimension to the things. Uh, our first I would say our first delivery was six data products. Okay, so we're pretty far. Uh, we still have, a, you know, 1994 to deliver to go to the 2000. But but our teams, our data engineering teams, are are speeding up now, and they deliver. And they're going to deliver a lot more. So so I think it's really about I, one thing that I was kind of convinced when I discovered the principle of 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 uh, and the paradigm of, of data mesh was. This is just bringing agile to data engineering. Okay. So, and, 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 and there were good things of agile product thinking and, and, and this methodology. So depending on your maturity on agile, uh, it, it's going to be more or less difficult when we were speaking also about the cognitive load of, of, you know, of our data engineers. Okay. 
I, I have the utmost respect for data engineers, but they are really, a lot of them are still thinking waterfall. Okay, so so now you're going to them and you say, hey guys, learn agile. And, and by the way, learn about federated computational governance, right? Because this is a future. Uh, so it's not it's not completely easy. It was not completely easy for them as well. So we, we tried... Um, we, we try to follow principles. Um, first, so just a, a little bit, and I don't want to, to take all the, the, the bandwidth here, but first, we didn't want to build the data mesh, okay? So it's not, a, I, didn't go, I didn't go to my boss and say, hey, oh, you hired me. I'm going to build a data mesh, okay? So first thing is, oh, we looked at the problems, and, and the, the thing is, we, we came up with, with, with a solution and then we realized that it was very close to data mesh. Gosh, it was like you know, I like to compare it to the DNA of a of a, of a human and a monkey. Okay, we probably were the monkey with ninety eight percent of the of the DNA of of the human. Okay, so oh let's 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 add this two percent. But in return, we we gain a lot because we get all this guidance, all this doc. Oh, well. I wouldn't say the huge amount of documentation, but we we saw a lot of things to be to align against, and and that that was so that was one principle we followed. Okay, we followed Shamak's book. We created uh, we 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 intensified reading of it. I would say, and then we also followed Safe uh, as a methodology, so scalable, agile. So. It helped us from the software perspective. It made complete sense. Okay, a lot of us were already trained in in, in safe or, you know, PI planning, sprints, etc. It just gave us some structure, and the thing, and then adding Jamax input on top of that helped us as well to structure and and apply this agile principle to to to, to data. So it it just you know, design thinking, product thinking, all that came with it, and and that's how we built it. Great. Uh, on our side, uh, yes, um, as Max said, we typically adopt product management principles uh, to evolve the platform. So we interview users across multiple domains because, as Manish highlighted, uh, there are... Uh, the, the, the user experience and needs are really scattered in a big uh, uh, organization, uh, really diverse. So uh, we, we, we really need to pay attention to optimize the, the ratio between uh, the value that we bring with new feature against the satisfaction of people in a certain, uh, certain space. And this is how we prioritize the feature linking uh, the the outcome that we want to drive uh, with the platform that maybe in a certain phase could be uh, the adoption in another phase could be the productivity or the satisfaction of people and so on and then we try to link the outcome that we want to achieve with the feature that we need to develop in order to maximize this uh, this return of investment and, uh, and maybe uh, related to the return of investment, how, how do you measure the success of a, of a, of a data mesh platform? Not, not a data mesh initiative, but the success of the platform. Which, which metrics? Yeah, so, so, so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit, uh, it's always the auto measure value in data engineering, okay, in some way. Um, so first, the thing is, how much are, 
so so for myself at least i'm i'm on the risk part of of uh of paypal so when when you're thinking about value is how much are we going to 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 lo- lower our risk exposure and it could be risk to uh consumers to sellers to mer- the, it could be risk as well legal risk okay so if you're not doing the right thing you can be fined so this is this is this is one one unit of measure. Um, one of the one of the need we had as well was to inc- to make um, data discovery a lot easier. Okay, through cataloging and through actually richer catalog, you can have through data mesh. So um, one one thing one thing we we try to quantify this way is saying, hey, if I make if I make my life easier for my data scientist by 15 minutes a day, okay, over the number of uh, data scientists we have, um, I the ROI of my platform is like a year-ish. So that's, that's really quantifiable. Things like, hey, how much am I going to save in fines or in compliance or things? That, that's more difficult to say. But at least the time the time benefit uh hey my my data scientists are doing that much faster now um they can take more uh work and produce more value for themselves so that that's one way we did it yeah and and i guess um this question of course comes up a lot right like how do you actually measure your success and i think that that is also what's most important for people that are even considering investing into let's not even just call it data mesh let's just call it i don't know data management initiative or data platform or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think the most important part is that you don't need to reinvent the wheel here, right? Like, like go with simple things that are well known from the software engineering space. Yeah, go, go with things like adoption. How many users do you actually have on the platform? Go with things like um, um, uh, time to market, right? Like, like how, how long does it take you to build a, a, a data product or, or even a data asset, it doesn't even need to be a product yet, right? Like 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 simple things that are well known already from from the from the software engineering space are creating the very same value here that, that when you're looking at it from a data angle. I think there's still so much that we can learn from general software engineering practices when it comes to data, um, um, and that's why how I love as well uh, JGP that you uh, explicitly state you're identifying as a as a software engineer. Uh, even you, though you're very much working in the in the data engineering space here, um, because that is, I think, where we can still learn a lot from, and where we can just apply a lot of the principles that we are getting from there um, also into the data space. I agree. I, I wouldn't think otherwise. Uh, for example, the four key metrics: lead time was was what Max said. How what is the lead time to create and maintain a data product over time? Right. It is very easily measurable, uh, and it is at a low level um, also. Right. But even from consumer point of view, like uh, G- GP said, um, how easy it is to access my data product. So at different users, there could be different KPIs that can be measured. Um, but again, uh, how do we like uh, quantify an economic value of a platform is hard. Not everything can be measured, though we say uh, we know metrics. I think it is hard and not everything can be measured. It reminds me of one of the things that Bill Gates talks about when he says platform. He says uh, platform is when the economic value of everybody uses it exceeds the value of value that went into creating the platform, right? Uh, that is something that resonates um, 
again uh, saying it's hard to measure everything but falling back to software engineering uh, and identifying the consumer patterns and what adds value uh, is hard uh, but i think that's how we should approach it yeah honestly uh, I, i i i agree overall with all of you but i struggle a bit uh, with the lead time uh, because in the lead time there is the complexity of the business logic some data product is yeah. easy someone is complex uh, and this is implicit uh, and uh, it's very hard to say okay we are improving or not improving because it depends on the complexity that you are handling so uh, i prefer to focus uh, on uh, small parts so time to deploy just to execute the deployment uh, time to discover uh, as mentioned uh, um time uh, to recovery maybe in case of uh, uh, errors uh, during the deployment uh, or uh, during uh, the runtime of the data product uh, sometimes and uh, it's definitely hard then to link uh, to the to the value uh, but if you if you save time of people i think is the the most uh, concrete way of uh, calculating uh, roi uh, also because platform engineering is about reducing the cognitive load of people and saving their time so um, i think that is, uh, is an important metric and uh, also user satisfaction uh, it's something that can play uh, a role here because anyway the happiness of developers uh, uh, is something that has a long-term effect uh, in the company overall and uh, is not directly linked to money uh, but it's a very important topic to me wouldn't it be great if building a data product you would only have to focus on the business logic Because, because I think that this is really like where a lot of the, the the lead time overall like absolutely comes from, right? And I I, I love to to do exactly what you just mentioned, Paolo, right? Like taking an, an, a broad overarching metric like like uh, lead time to market for a data product and breaking it down into the smaller chunks um, and and the specifics that you are actually encountering across the journey. Because what I have experienced so far is that more than 90% of the time that people spend on building a data product is not coming from the business logic. It's coming about like figuring out what to use in the first place, figuring out how to get access, figuring out uh, what the heck is wrong with the data that yesterday was just looking fine, um, <laughs> uh, figuring out how to get like all your compute resources together, like, like all these kinds of things, right? And and um, uh, this is these are the parts that platform can much more easily address than helping people to better write their business logic, so to say. But this is also where I have seen in the past cases where like teams went from um, undefined time of building a data product, which was definitely more than six months, uh, down to like shipping a data product every two weeks. Right? And I think that this is like where you can really realize the massive, massive impact that you're having when you're giving a good platform that ultimately, once it has evolved for, for a while, uh, will cover like uh, like all different angles that are actually required uh, around building. A really good point. I have I have actually a question for, for Paolo and, and Manisha. Sorry, Max, I not mean to exclude you, but uh, or, or maybe I'll ask you as a question in, in 
in, in three months when you're settling your new job. Uh, but um, do you see a so as you were saying a little bit before, Manisha, you, you see some patterns between different data products, and that's how you kind of continue building it. Do you see some patterns? in the different data mesh you guys have been implemented or is it completely different every time? The principles stay the same. I think they hold the ground. Uh, keeping that aside, uh, comparing my first data mesh journey to the second to the third, uh, the difference I'm seeing is the clarity in understanding what a data product really is. Uh, it, it's become clearer uh, with time. Uh, we started with uh, making this data available to consumers and it should have all of those attributes to so really understanding what makes that data product architecture quantum. What is the concern of the developer? What is the concern of a platform? What is the role the product owner plays? These bits, right? These dynamics of different roles along with the understanding of the architecture of the product. This remains the same. Uh, they don't change. Uh, how you implement the capabilities, how you provide the user experience, this has been different. Some provide an API mechanism. Say, let's call an API to create a data product and platform takes care of the rest. Some use pipeline as code as an approach, like I'll give you templates. Uh, it'll be part of your bootstrap repository. Use it. And from there, it's your responsibility to enhance it further. So there are different implementations, but the capabilities, how people interact with the capability, what the logical architecture should look like, concerns of platform and developer, they are standard. There is a pattern there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also, maybe because we are pushing more or less always the, the same uh, set of capabilities, a set of uh, architecture and so on as consultants, uh, what is really different, uh, but is more related to the data mesh implementation than the platform, uh, is the adoption journey. Uh, but I think it's a totally different uh, story. And this is depending on the culture mindset uh, of the company, the quantity of legacy they have uh, uh, inside um, so many factors also the leadership model that they adopt in the company bottom up top down so it's totally different to drive the, the data mesh adoption in a company compared with another but the platform i would say that more or less is following the same principles then maybe someone is prioritizing a certain set of aspects uh, more than uh, others um, for example, uh, we discussed before about uh, automation uh, versus uh, uh, discovery. So I have a customer that are not able to fully automate the provisioning. So it's mandatory to focus more on uh, other aspects of the platform. Uh, so that's my, my point. Makes sense. Thanks. And um, maybe let's uh, let's talk about the hardest challenge that we that 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 you uh, faced in uh, your journey uh, about data data mesh platform implementation. So, what what do you think is the hardest part of implementing uh, uh, a platform? I think, like for for me personally, the hardest part was really about. Um, changing the mindset of 
basically the whole company. <laughs> um, uh, because like you're, you're, you're not only again, like reshaping the platform. And honestly, we were really lucky in, in, in Zalando, for instance, um, because we always had a strong platform driven mindset already for like before the term data mesh was even coined. And there was a lot of things that, that where we were lucky because we had the right preconditions. Uh, to fully embrace on this journey. But the hardest part up until today is really to convince the people in the respective teams where the data is being produced um, to, to take up the ownership and take up the responsibility around the data that they are producing. You're still facing a lot of issues where producers and consumers, they don't talk to each other. They often don't even know that each other exists. Um, and even though like a lot of value might be generated on one end, on the one end side, the consumer might not be able to quantify the value yet that they're actually generating. And thus it makes it really hard, even once they start talking to the producer, um, to convince them that this is actually important because they have been so much focused just on the software engineering practices and the developments around the applications that they have, um, that data is still a byproduct uh, uh, and you're not really thinking of it as something that also creates value after the initial usage um, when it comes to like the service to service interactions or the business processes, uh, but really the, the value that it generates from the analytical, uh, for the analytical side of things. I think that that's really the, like been the hardest part to, um, to convince so many different people that what we are preaching actually makes sense. On, on this aspect, uh, how we have approached, because we go to newer domains, uh, we, we have to start from scratch, understand their context, and also make them align on data mesh. So we have this framework where we make them align on data mesh, do some exercises where they start discussing on the principles, then do an exercise with them on using the lean value tree, uh, coming down, all the, now, interesting thing is when you do this exercise, what kind of people are involved in this discussion? It's not just the business users. It is also some platform representatives. It is also the data producers. It is also the product future product team that you might likely have. You don't have, but you'll have one representative from tech uh, product team, right? So this team, when it looks closely in these workshop exercises that here is where we started, and this is the product logical architecture. These are the capabilities. There is a consolidated, like a uniform uh, understanding uh, that we create. And when we kickstart our data product team for the domain, the first data product team, we try to build data products within the domain itself first. Um, and uh, that with that, the context remains. They don't struggle with the context of what is the business value that is sorted. And we have identified what are the minimum capabilities. So they're working towards that, uh, right? Uh, the, the, so using this model, this has not been hard because we have uh, onboarded several domains. What has been hard is once you have scaled to more than one domain, how you um, share uh, the managed services maybe that you have on your platform or the infrastructure, what is the right isolation to have for your data products uh, is hard. Because all of us are in different tech stack tooling, uh, and it's there's no set pattern. On, uh, for example, if I'm using Snowflake, do I have one compute per domain, or do I give compute per data product? These con this boundary uh, of mapping capability for each data product at platform is tricky, and it is something that we need to do every time uh, with every new exemplar 
platform uh, that we go to. Uh, this has been uh, a, a continual, a continuous journey that uh, I've seen we work with. Uh, when bringing the capabilities uh, at a platform level, but forming the right isolation for the product uh, at storage, at compute, uh, when you push it to catalog, what is the namespace? Do you give a dedicated namespace for your data product? The key here is to provide autonomy and not block the data product teams uh, due to these technical uh, uh, boundaries being blurred, right? So this this is one challenge that uh, we've seen. For, for me, definitely the, the, the biggest challenge was integration. Um, as, as, you, as you can imagine, uh, PayPal is not a company where we take security lightly. Um, so... Um, it's it's been a little bit of a challenge to, hey, you've got this new concept of things and you're going to deploy that against data production data. Uh, well, yes, I'm going to do that. Okay, so I would like to prove that we were not completely crazy and that we were not completely, you know, uh, changing the face of the world, but uh, providing providing benefits, use cases, and things like that. So that was and and to to rearchitecture a little bit our early POC and our early demonstrator into into this architecture with the security constraint and the environment constraint we have that that was that was difficult it was not like difficult like oh i'm going to uh, abandon the thing it was just a little bit lengthy so and and a bit and a bit difficult on the morale for for the team to be completely transparent so for me on the soft side uh, is to convince people that platform is not uh, just a liability. It's not just a cost that is in some way uh, due uh, because platform is demonstrating most of the benefits in the long term. And uh, at least my customers uh, <laughs> always want very fast uh, results. So um, this, this is the first uh, point. From, on, on the technical side, um, I agree with uh, JGP. Uh, build interoperability capabilities across multiple technologies is the most uh, challenging uh, part because uh, once you create uh, some overlay let's say then uh, you need to build again all the facilities that are provided by specific technologies like access control uh, row filtering isolation of workloads and so on so um, when you have to create interoperability across multiple technologies uh, that's that's becoming challenging and another important part uh, of a platform uh, is the billing mechanism. So the model uh, uh, to charge back uh, domains uh, on usage of resources and uh, also the resources needed from, from the consumers. Uh, so this uh, is something that is still uh, really suboptimal, let's say, in, uh, in the overall model because it, it's strongly dependent uh, on the technology for the storage is fine but when uh, you are in the computation space it's becoming hard to to say who, who who where the costs are belonging to so that's one of the the big uh, problems that i see 
Yeah, and where you've got three clouds, uh, on-prem and hybrid and all those things, it just adds to the fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I guess like on the very same point as well, like is is it, do you want to do like a full chargeback? Is it okay to inform people about like how much cost they are spending, but you still have like a, a central platform cost center through which this is going? And like, like all these kind of things, again, like heavily depend on the organization as well and like how mature you are in terms of like uh, accepting the value of platform and how much you still need to be convinced uh, and and like really like uh, push the users of the platform towards demonstrating the value that they are um, generating by like also pushing the cost point onto them. This is depending on the FinOps practice that they adopt, you know? showback versus chargeback, uh, but Anyway, even if you have to show something, you need to calculate uh, yeah. what is the, <laughs> that quantity. So yes. uh, it's it's hard anyway. <laughs> but but we, that's where that's where we we we're missing someone really important that did that for a long part of his career is Scott Yellowman. I don't know if you've heard the guy, but is is he's been working on this kind of chargeback and, and cloud optimization part of his career. But let's not mention him. <laughs> Okay, uh, I think it has been a really, really insightful conversation. Uh, I thank you all, and uh, thank you, Scott, uh, for uh, hosting us, and have a good time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. This was great. Thanks a lot. It was an absolute pleasure. I'd again like to thank the panelists today, guest host Paolo Plotter, who is the CTO and co-founder of Agile Lab, and guest of episode number three who facilitated a discussion with Manisha Jain, a data engineer at ThoughtWorks and guest of episode 220. Jean-Georges Perrin, aka JGP, who's the intelligence platform lead at PayPal and guest of episode 130. And Max Schulze, who's the associate director of data engineering at HelloFresh and guest of episode 21. You can find a link to their LinkedIn's and lots of other useful related content in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Panels really are my favorite. And no, it's not just because I don't have to do the hard work. I, I swear, they give you a chance to hear from folks entirely devoid of my own views, which I think is crucial in our learning journey to figure out how to do data mesh well. Hopefully this one was super useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show. Almost all guests have said that they'd really love people to reach out. Data Mesh Radio is again provided by Data Mesh Understanding and is produced and usually hosted by, you know, except for these panels, by me, Scott Herleman. Do check out our website, datameshunderstanding.com, for more information. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by our offerings and some of the free programs out there. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And with that, let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.